Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Trendsetters podcast episode. Today, I am joined by Denny Post. Denny was formerly the CIO at Yum Brands, SVP and CCO at Burger King, SVP at Starbucks, SVP and CMO at T-Mobile, and President and CEO at Red Robin. Now, Denny is an advisor and board member of several firms, and the one that intrigued me the most was Live Kindly, a collective of plant-based heritage and startup brands committed to transforming our global food system. Denny, it's truly an honor having you on. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, it's great to be here, Jake. Thank you for inviting me. Appreciate it. Of course. Well, my, my first question is, is around why. You know, you've spent decades at the top and you've been in, in incredible positions with very notable brands. Uh, but now you continue to advise sit on boards. You, you're still very active in, in the scene, such as Vital Farms, Wyndham Destinations, um, Live Kindly and, and, and more. And I think most might might at a certain point, you know, reach that top and, and then from there, just call it a career and go enjoy the beach or something of that nature. Uh, yeah. But you've continued to kind of stay active, stay engaged and continue pushing. So, so what's that driving factor? Like, what is that, what is that why that, that, uh, that, that continues to kind of motivate you? That's a great question. You know, there's a combination of things. Number one, I was retire fired from Red Robin. So my board and I came to, let's say my board reached the decision that, that I wasn't the person that was going to take them forward. And it was largely because uh, we were, were different points of view about where the business needed to go. And it was a very mm -hmm. challenging time. And I learned a ton from that. You know, I, I'm, I believed in practicing resilience. And one of the things to practicing resilience is to adopt a growth mindset. So I came out of that experience uh, a little bruised and a little battered, but a lot smarter. And so I see a lot of first time CEOs uh, and in fact, all, almost all the boards I serve on, let me think about it, all the boards I serve on have first-time CEOs. Mm -hmm. And so I see the opportunity to kind of come alongside them and uh, and provide some perspective, some friendship, if you will, yeah. which sounds different from a board standpoint, but not so much mentorship, but just a place to, to speak to. And I, I'm not sure I had a whole lot of that. And so I, I can help them think about how to manage a board. The second thing is I just... I mean, I was, I was, it was announced that I was retiring, but that was one of my biggest concerns is that people not assume that was true because I wasn't ready to hang up my shoes. I was, mm -hmm. oh gosh, I was 60, what was I? I'm 64 now. What am I? I can't even keep track. I'm 63 now. So I was 61 when I got fired. Um, and, you know, I just, I had always imagined my mom lived into her 90s and, and worked as a bookkeeper well into her 70s. And I think the fact that she kept so active is part of the reason she was so mentally capable. And mm -hmm. so I have just always assumed I would do other things. What I had to realize was I didn't need to go operate in another company, that I could have even more impact by actually being engaged with multiple companies and conversations like this one and, and meeting new people all the time where I thought I might be able to help. And then the last, frankly, is as a female, there's just not a whole lot of females who have had the chance to run public companies. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we've got to stay championing for the next generation of women and more importantly for broader diversity in the marketplace. And if we all just hang up and, and go home, it's never going to have that opportunity. And that voice at the table won't exist. And all those, all those um, board roles will end up going to the same people they've always gone to. And that's mostly, you know, aged white men. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's important to represent and be at the table and speak up on behalf of women and on behalf, on behalf of greater diversity. 
Yeah, yeah, that's an in, in, incredible background. I love that that you continue to drive. And uh, you know, on on that note in particular, on on getting more women in those leadership roles, I it's something that we see within our generation, within Gen Z, within millennials. They're very loud about it. They're they're talking about it. They're cognizant of it. Uh, but they're also not the ones leading these companies. And, and something that I always challenge uh, my, my friends and kind of my network that is what I would consider kind of activists, which I think we all have, you know, a, a part of us that is, uh, sure. is, is to not just talk about it, but like show me, you know, how, how do we equate that to action? And I, I think you might have a different perspective on ultimately like, okay, how do we actually make this happen? So, so from your perspective, I mean, how do you think we best continue to empower female leaders. And I, I, I can even share my perspective as a young white male individual growing up in a, in a one or 2% zip code in the US, right? Like I, I certainly come from a background of, of privilege and things of that nature. And I've always wondered because I grew up in, in incredible schooling environments and just a great community. I was like, I don't understand how any of the guys in this classroom are going to stand a chance against the women in this classroom because <laughs> even in the yeah. second grade, we're all killing each other, like fighting with scissors and you know, the, the rest, they're actually learning. Like, so, so that's my perspective on it. Um, but, but I also understand the hurdles that, that do exist. So what, what's your take on that? And, and how do we best uh, continue to push for it? Well, I think generationally, one of the things I'm most encouraged by, I'm the mother of a 26 year old and, and, you know, and, and he has one of the few benefits of COVID is that he's been home and along with his girlfriend. And I've, I've been again to see the world a little differently just through their eyes. But I do believe generationally, you all see this as more, there aren't less barriers, there's more universality. Unfortunately, my generation, I think the boomers in particular saw it as a zero sum game. Mm -hmm. if, if, I, if I promote you, you're gonna take my job, you know, you're yeah. gonna take my opportunity. And you know, you've got to approach this as the wealth of talent, to your point, and the importance of diversity that creates greater things and greater things create greater opportunity. And that engages more people. And you know, it's it's a it's a positive sum constantly. It's constantly building the business, it building your opportunities up by bringing together people who have different points of view and different skill sets. Uh, and and I think that's the other thing is that for me, what really unlocked my potential was realizing I could be my own person, which sounds like a ridiculous thing to realize as an adult. But you do realize you don't have to try to be like somebody else. And, and so once you've got a really good handle on what those unique qualities are that you bring to the table, then you voice those and you give voice to those. And I don't care if you're a woman or a man or, or who you are, um, what your background is, when you're really clear about what you bring, that's what your uniqueness starts to stand out. So I'd encourage you guys to really focus on uniqueness mm -hmm. and to continue to see it, each of you, each other as individuals and what each piece adds rather than the need to be like something, like there's some exact pattern to how you are successful. So that, I mean, that's, it's diversity, it's individuality, it's, it's knowing your strength and realizing where it ends and where you need somebody else to fill it in. Yeah. And that's where you start to really create a big table. Yeah, I love that approach. I think what, what's so incredible about what is Gen Z, the most diverse generation here in the U.S., um, is exactly that, just the, the plethora of micro-communities that exist uh, across all avenues and uh, skewing beyond what is kind of surface-level demographics. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I know a lot of our listeners here, they, they, they hear the names of CMOs and these incredible marketing executives and titles and things of that nature. And uh, I, I know something I struggle with is certainly young people struggle with the concept of time and progression. 
as if you, you, you know, I, I'm assuming you didn't graduate college and then immediately be, become a, you know, SVP overnight. So no. I, no. I'd love to get a sense for, for a lot of those right now, maybe in entry level jobs or starting a company on the side or side hustling four gigs just to get by. Earlier in your career, you were on kind of the consulting and agency side, and I'm sure you had other experiences um, before switching over to the brand side. But what about some of those early experiences um, best kind of served you for, for preparing for, the, for those future roles? Do you know that I can trace every single role in my life to the people I worked with in my very first job? That's and incredible. so I think that was I started at an ad agency in Dallas, Texas. I made less than my admin. Yeah. Uh, I literally was paid thirteen thousand dollars a year in nineteen seventy nine, and uh, and you know, it, it, of course, inflation, whatever. I don't know what that would equate to, but it certainly wasn't a great job. Yeah, I I had an undergrad degree. I had a grad undergraduate degree in journalism, and um, and it was a great place to start. And but most importantly, the group that I worked for there, every single role I've worked for, almost every single one of them again. In some cases, several times. They remain contacts and friends to this day and or I worked one of my clients has ended up being the reason I got the last opportunity. So I would say surround yourself with the smartest and best people and look to be around and, and make make an impression in the right way. Right. Make mm -hmm. an impression by being somebody that they want to work with again, because when if you get pulled along and then you can also you have to be flexible enough to take those opportunities. My son, I moved him a bunch because we. He used to say he hated to hear mom say, I have a great opportunity yeah. um, because that meant, you know, we were packing up and going, but I was willing to do that. And it created a lot of opportunities and, and great things for us. But, um, but truly I had an exchange yesterday with the guy who hired me out of, out of college mm -hmm. and you know, he ended up running a major U S corporation and I ended up working for him in some of those roles. So, so I'd say really focus on who you surround yourself with and, yeah. and not just your peers, but, you know, make sure you, you, you know, get to know the people that are a level or two levels above you in the right ways. Um, but, but, you know, catching their eye and, and then stay in touch. It's a lot easier to stay in touch today yeah. uh, than it used to be, but it's, but it's important. Yeah. That's fascinating. And, uh, you, you know, I love that everything stems from that first job. I mean, that's incredible. And I think something that is often overlooked for younger individuals is the concept and, and the realization that the, the reality is who, who you're surrounded with, even if it is, you know, you're all young entry-level employees, like someone's going to have to lead the company one day and yeah. someone's oh, yeah. going to end up somewhere. Well, and, and most importantly, I didn't stay in advertising. I started in advertising. I got pulled to publishing. So publishing was kind of, you know, I did that briefly. And then, and then sure enough, somebody I'd worked with through that pulled me to consulting and I, I loved consulting and my track, it's funny, you said CIO and I thought if that's, you know, a nest day or it's a chief information officer, I was chief innovation officer. Yes. Number. And, and, you know, innovation is really the thread as opposed to advertising or, you mm -hmm. know, functions. So find out in my case, I think differently than a lot of people. My, one of my strengths is ideas and strategy. And so I can apply that in a lot of different places. Um, and, and as you can apply your skill set in a lot of different places. Mm -hmm. So don't think linearly, um, you know, I want to, unless you really truly want to be the head of an ad agency and you want to start at the bottom and work your way there, there are people who do that. But more often it's a series of experiences that create your career. You're the sum total of your experiences. Mm -hmm. And, and what you want to do is look for things that fascinate you. And again, find that unique value. 
in my case, it's innovation. That's what I, that's what I bring more than anything else. Innovation and strategy. Yeah. And you kind of allude to that, that, that innovation and and strategy. And while certainly marketing (laughs) has accelerated uh, quite, quite a bit over the past two decades, and obviously it will always accelerate following something along the lines of Moore's law or whatever you want to call it. uh, There's also no denying those core fundamentals that will ultimately exist forever. And I know there's a lot of list, our listeners right now that always tune in the latest trends. They, they know how to create the cool, fancy videos. They, they know all the growth hacks and algorithms and uh, kind of strategies on, on the latest and greatest social platforms. But at the end of the day, there is that, that kind of core fundamental baseline of marketing that is always going to exist. So for you, what, what would you say are some of those kind of core fundamentals that, that you might value the most? I'd say it's the fundamentals of positioning. It's knowing who you're speaking to, uh, knowing where you compete and against whom, and and really understanding how you're either disrupting or or being you know uh, uh, literally laid side to side, but with another company, and knowing what your benefits are, being able to articulate those very very clearly, and making sure they matter back around to who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. And so you know, core consumer insight and really understanding your audience. The people who will ultimately, well, let's say the, the people who will ultimately part with their dollars for whatever you're selling, or in the case of service industries, those people that you need to provide, you know, you cannot ignore, uh, like in the case of the restaurant industry, where I spent much of my life, you know, the key stakeholder is the person who actually gives the service. And, and what are you doing for them? How are you, how are you differentiating yourself? Why are you the place that they should work versus the million other places that'll pay a minimum wage plus tips? So, you know, it's always seeking that understanding and finding your, um, your core target and really staying on top of understanding them like you're doing for your clients. Yeah. Uh, and, and, then, and then really looking for that constant, that competitive point of difference. I mean, that hasn't changed in 50 years of marketing. Yeah. Point of difference matters. And if, it, if you start enumerating five points of difference, trust me, I don't care what tactic or what you know medium you use. You're not going to be able to communicate all those. Mm-hmm. And you know you need it to be consistent and build up over time. So great brands are built from singular promises, and great promises come from understanding what you uniquely do. So it's just like a person. You know, a brand is a person. Um, so that core of of the basics of Trout and Reese positioning is still some of the most important stuff in the world. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's one of the things where at the end of the day you can't avoid. Uh, what is going to be positioning and what the brand stands for and purpose and things of that. And I think th- that those are just kind of inherent traits that no marketing uh, necessarily can, I don't want to say cover for, but um, maybe like make up for, like make up grounds. And you can make the most progress well, in those arenas. Well, if you're not clear about it, then, then you know, they'll fill, you know, the, the viewer will fill in the vacuum and they may fill yeah. it in the way you want them to or not, right? And, uh, you know, and again, because you, because the viewers to this day or the, the consumers have so many outlets in social media, they can write your story before you have a chance to do it if you're not careful. And so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's making that core promise and then living up to it. And that's where the key of, you know, Yelp reviews and all the components that come into, or, you know, whatever's the hottest, but people, people, um, what is unboxing when I was at T-Mobile, what was unboxing about is about the discovery but at the heart of it, it was living up to the core promise you've made, which is this is going to be the most incredible new phone you've touched, right? And if it fell flat, well, boy, that'll undermine your brand really quick. So, you know, I, I just um, got to know what your story is. And that never changes. 
that never changes. And if you if you glide over that, then you know you risk of being a novelty. And uh, businesses, companies are you know built on novelties. They're built on uh, you know sustained brand promises that transcend time. They definitely evolve because they've mm-hmm. got to relate to you know a younger and younger customer. But uh, they still have some core that makes them the truth. Yeah, yeah, and, and, that's and so important. On that note of evolution, you know, mm-hmm. this year we we saw the <laughs> McDonald's collaboration with Travis Scott, which yeah, you know, obviously that that that's a you know that's a former clientele of ours and and incredible uh-huh. brand partner. But you know, that's one of those things where you 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 just go and look at kind of kind of the social media and the marketing and maybe Q1 of 2020, then look at it. Q2, Q3, Q4, I mean, just night and day. And and it's been incredible to see that transition. And now I know, you know, T-Mobile recently obviously acquired Sprint. Now now we have the T-Mobile Center here in Kansas City instead of the Sprint Center. Oh, you do? Oh, they, took, they took over? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that verbiage will ever go away, but but we're working, we're, we're working to get there. And there's been some incredible advertising of their 5G on Twitter. And you look at that versus Verizon and just the, they're just so much more connected to culture and the messaging and the people who are actually buying so, you know, I think, I, I think uh, certainly 2020 and, uh, you know, other kind of, uh, I would say, trends going on in the world have brought on some new innovation from brands. But are there any that, that you look at as doing an incredible job or any you, you always kind of look up to? Let's talk about T-Mobile for a few minutes, because mm-hmm. um, I, when I was at T-Mobile, I was there for two years and we were the fourth in the market at the time. We were the number one seller of Ready? Blackberries and Nokia's. But lo and behold, we were the only one who didn't have the Apple uh, iPhone, the new iPhone. We were the only carrier that didn't have it. Whoa. Um, And so what, you know, we started, I started digging into, um, and before I left, um, but working with the team was, okay, what makes us unique? And, you know, we worked with the underbanked. We worked with the folks who we were the value player in the market in the day, and mm-hmm. they still are, but they've made it into a strength. But the conflict I had is that the former CMO, who had become the CEO, wanted to be like Verizon. He wanted to be the high-end premium family mm. business. Well, Verizon had that space. Yeah. You, know, you didn't need another one of those. And AT&T had business. And uh, Sprint, was, Sprint was a little uh, confused, but... Um, yeah. but <laughs> it's one word but for T-Mobile, it. T-Mobile, what we had is we had... We were the, we were number one with Hispanics, and we worked with the underbanked more so than anybody else. Now that was tough during the 2008 recession because mm-hmm. you know receivables really went up and some challenges. But they embraced that unbrand a couple of regimes later. John Ledger did a hell of a job with that business. He wore the brand, the magenta, you know, the the magenta as we used to call it. He really sported it and took it on and made it the cool, hip, fun, edgy. What's coming from them next brand? Mm. And and that's what allowed them to take over Sprint and ultimately have a real place in the market that neither AT&T or Verizon could ever fill because they appeal uh, and have made, you know, made the effort to appeal to a much more uh, just interesting kind of interesting proposition. And it's yeah. all about this more for less that's mm-hmm. always been there. But they do it in interesting ways. It's not as pedestrian as more for less. But yeah. that's always been what, what T-Mobile did. And mm-hmm. T-Mobile was innovative. They had the, the what was it, the five, the fave five, and they had the sidekick. And we, you know, we had interesting things and interesting relationships. We did a Fender phone with Eric Clapton. It was the only time he'd ever done a phone. That in its day, you know, whatever now, gosh, 
oh, uh, 13, 14 years ago, not not the same as a Travis Scott, but it's but it's that kind of currency and what they're doing today with their sponsorships and where they engage. But they wear that brand, literally physically, the leadership of that company. And some of them are still there from when I was there. And, you know, they, they wear it and they wear it with pride and attitude. And, uh, and so they've, they've taken what was, was deemed by one ownership group to be a negative, which is we appeal to people who have less money mm-hmm. and they've made it a positive and it's made, it's written their history, written their story going forward. So yeah. created a good future for them, frankly. So I think that's a good, a really good example, a really good example. Yeah. And you, you mentioned the, the McDonald's promotion. I think it's great. But the question always becomes, well, how do they build on that? Yeah. And too often they just try to repeat with the next person mm-hmm. and there's diminishing return. You can't just continue to do the same thing. You've got to find new ways to be fresh and interesting and not just who's the next guy we can, whose name we can latch on to. Yeah. Right? That's incredible. Yeah. Because the other thing is they'll see it coming and they're going to ask for more and more money to do it. And so, yeah, that's the, that's the trap of celebrity campaigns in general. But, but the point of that is it, it was relatable it was interesting. It was talked about. Okay, what's the next thing like that we do as opposed mm-hmm. to let's try to replicate what was so successful? I like that approach. And like you said, I think it is always difficult, especially when you when you work with what is, you know, outside of maybe Drake and Beyonce, probably your your number I mean, maybe Bieber like up there. I mean, Travis Scott yeah. just really? owns really? culture. Yeah, but let me tell you. Here's what happens too. So, um, so a, a story from the from the archives. So we had Charles Barkley and D Wade. Um, oh my gosh. We were NBA sponsors, and they were amazing guys to work with. They were very talented. Some of the best T-Mobile ads I think that were ever done were backed. They were very memorable. Um, Barkley decided to go out on I can't remember if it was New Year's Eve or the day after. He got picked up by the police. He, you can go look at the story. Yeah. He, decided to share why he was in a hurry to get somewhere and it was a pretty rude story and it was a it was bragging and it but it was it was edgy uh to say the least and it got a lot of publicity the guy i worked for at the time of the ceo was a mormon and he was very conservative and his thought was i want him out of here well he was the best thing we had going mm-hmm. uh, i mean Barkley was, and, and again, because we appealed to underbanks, um, we appealed heavily to African-Americans, we had the NBA sponsorship. So I figured out a way to basically have him, A, apologize, B, give back half of his, his fee, and the other thing was to, to do a, a kind of a PSA for our own team members about being smart about driving and drinking. And we turned it into a positive, but I will tell you, celebrities are a very risky thing to hang your hat on, because at any given point, they can do something that can drag your brand down. And so it, it is risky. But you're right. There are very few who have that kind of profile. The key is to find those that are on their way up and grab them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. D-Way, D-Way was in his rookie year. Oh, good um, timing there. That, yeah. That old. <laughs> yeah. I think it was his rookie year. Yeah. I know. I know he hadn't won a, I know he hadn't won a championship yet. So, but anyway, yeah, you, you know, you got to find that kind of, and you know, so if, as you guys at trendsetters can kind of keep your finger on the pulse and let your clients know who's the next one like that, mm-hmm. right? Because those are the folks you want to be associated with. Uh, it, a, they're more affordable, B, they're more controllable and they're more unique. Yeah. I mean, Beyonce, Beyonce doesn't commercialize a lot, but, yeah. but most of them don't have to, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of who's really worn out right now. Who do you, I feel like I've seen 
You know, honestly, though, I have to admit, I watch so little commercial television right now, which is a whole other thing. And I'm not as active on social media as your generation is. Yes. I, would, yeah. yeah, we're a little bit too over the board. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, I think the Travis Scott collaboration is quite interesting. And I know you have a lot of experience in the in the restaurant arena, yeah. which uh, QSR, call, call it what you want. But I think we, we have a lot of interesting things happening with in what I would call just like like food consumption uh, in yes. restaurants, where we obviously have now DoorDash and others growing exponentially. We have a younger demographic that's eating habits are a little bit different. We know they're going to skew towards healthy, plant-based, things of that nature. And we've seen now innovation in that arena, which I know uh, you and Liv Kindly are, are, are always exploring. Uh, but but for you, does, does anything stand out in terms of the future, what that looks like? Is it uh, you know, and I think another example, Mr. Beast, he's a big influencer on YouTube, just launched his own fast food restaurant using cloud kitchens overnight. Oh, he did, really? Oh, yeah, wow. 330 locations. There was, uh, I went ahead and ordered it. Uh, bad idea because eating a uh, hamburger at 2 p.m. on a Monday is never a good idea. But uh, yeah. I ordered it. It took two and a half hours to get here. Uh, and that's just in Seriously. Kansas City. So the demand's been crazy, and uh, it's it's interesting to see him be able to just compete with with the top dogs overnight. But but for you, is there anything that stands out in that restaurant space uh, in terms of maybe trends, insights? Well, you just hit on it. So before I so I'm an advisor, I'm a board member, and then I'll I'll get back to speaking when the world starts getting back together. Yeah. But um, but as an advisor, um, prior to working with Live Kindly Collective, which is a great company and and is developing really uh, terrific plant-based foods and the whole goal there is to get them so that they're at cost parity with the animal equivalent because you shouldn't have to pay a premium mm -hmm. to choose to eat plant-based in fact you know as as you know it's not a premium for the planet uh, it is a premium for the planet we got to get down to where it's affordable um so that's one of the things but prior to that i was working with a company called reef kitchens mm -hmm. and reef is transforming parking lots into um a satellite kitchen and uh, just-in-time delivery locations. They manage parking lots all over the country. And so I saw firsthand for about six months this whole evolution of unique kitchens or um, satellite kitchens, uh, ghost kitchens as they're called. Mm -hmm. um, the whole notion of virtual brands is fascinating because mm -hmm. you're right, you don't need brick and mortar anymore. Uh, you need a reason on this shelf space that is the that is a DoorDash app to choose you know, your place over my place. Mm -hmm. And and you may not have experienced it as a brick and mortar location at all. So I think the whole definition of access and brand is shifting a lot in food service in general. You know, the, the ones who have done well through the pandemic have been those with drive-throughs because it's the ultimate contactless, you know, uh, service and it's still relatively affordable. So you're going to see a lot more of those come up. Um, Chipotle is doing Chipotle lanes now to, to, so you can drive through and pick up your, your digital order. The growth of digital and access of direct ordering has eliminated the whole stare at a menu board or look at a menu in the restaurant. And it's it's created opportunities for smart marketers to better present and merchandise items on their menus as opposed to just a flat piece of paper, right? So there's a lot of interesting space, but I, I do think this virtual brand is, is really interesting. And, you know, I, I hadn't heard about the example you just shared, mm -hmm. but... Um, you know, Chili's has has twelve hundred locations overnight doing its just wings. Yeah, and all it is is a section of their menu. And what they're doing is they're just utilizing their asset more efficient, uh, mm. efficiently. The risk is they build the business up so much it starts to affect the core business. 
Yeah. And, you know, so there's always a pull and tug there. But yeah, this definition of access is changing. And generationally, the expectation certainly is not to wait two and a half hours. And that that could be a whole lot of reasons. It could be demand. It could be poor operations. It could be location. But, you know, there there's definitely uh, an expectation of I can get it now and I can get what I want. Yeah. Very yeah. different, very different from, uh, you know, the days casual diners are the ones that are basically aren't going to have a reason to exist anymore. Fine dining still will. Some great brands will succeed, but casual dining chains that, you know, were built up to be bars and grills. And what do you crave from an Applebee's? There's another Kansas brand. Yeah. Nothing, yeah. Right. I mean, no offense, but there's nothing you crave from an Applebee's. All it had was convenience. It was the mm-hmm. neighborhood bar and grill. It had more locations than anybody else. Mm-hmm. That doesn't cut it anymore. So yeah, yeah, I think that value prop isn't going to stand the test of time, and uh, you know, no. and I think COVID. We're going to see a lot of brands go by the by the wayside. I mean, just like you know, Sears. I mean, what did Sears mean to anybody anymore? Mm-hmm. Right? It was a value brand for hundreds of years. Sears could have been Amazon if they'd gotten their act together. Yeah, I mean, really could have been, but but instead they they you know a whole bunch of reasons it didn't happen. But that's Amazon took that place and and went farther, far farther. So. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. a little bit. Yeah, just just a little bit. It is pretty amazing, and yeah. Well, so my, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know, I think the final question I have for you, I I know a lot of our listeners here, they have bosses, they have managers, they have, uh, and they're thinking about how they continue to get the next level. Which, you know, I've had personal conversations with people working places, and it's just some of the HR problems I find just fascinating. You know, like why are you even worrying about it, or why is that an issue? But, uh, you know, from your experience leading uh, teams and having uh, direct reports uh, reporting to you, are are there any particular traits or characteristics, maybe outside of marketing, that you think are are, are really vital to becoming kind of a next generation leader? Well, in an operating environment like restaurants, you really have to understand the environment that it Mm -hmm. ultimately gets expressed through, right? you can't be a marketer and not understand that ultimately it comes down to somebody serving at the table or, or the preparation of food. So, so understanding the totality of your business and not being so narrowly functional, no matter what function, whether you're in finance or operations or marketing or um, HR, you know, make sure you, you understand, I mean, cross-functional, understand the totality of the business, how what you do fits in, and more importantly, what those other, other functions need from you because you have internal clients as well. So that's number one. I think the second is I always look for people who is that give voice to their ambitions and giving a voice to your ambition can be expressed as my dream is to do this eventually. It, that's very different than stamping your foot and saying tomorrow I should run this place. Um, but if you're willing to give voice to those ambitions to those around you, then you'll find that those people will champion you and make sure you're in the conversation and meetings you're not in. And that's really important. So don't sit back and, and hope it happens. And at the same time, don't stamp your foot in demand, but say, hey, this is my, this is where I'd love, this is where I can see myself being, you know, do it in a way that, that makes it um, visionary mm-hmm. uh, and, and not expect, expected, if you will. And, and that may also mean that people will hear, you know, I really want to, I really love innovation. And before you know it, somebody leaves and that's where they say, hey, I would love it if you'd come here. Because mm-hmm. it's very rare you're going to do it all within one company. And then the last is just is just do your work really well. Do yeah. your work and, and have an attitude that makes you a joy to work with. <laughs> you know, I mean, to your point, uh, it's, you know, who do you who do you want to show up and work with? People that are that are happy to be there or or complaining all the time. And um, 
so if you're not happy to be there, find someplace else to be. Unless you're just preternaturally an unhappy person, which is a whole other issue for you. But but if it's really your environment that makes you unhappy, then move on because you're not going to change the environment. But you know, I'm sure as a business owner, you want to create an environment where people want to be mm-hmm. um, because that's where you get the engagement element that gives you the extra effort. Mm-hmm. And engagement mm-hmm. engagement is what's missing so much in businesses. So you know, give your whole heart, be engaged. Yeah, I, I especially think that's the case too when we we now are in an era, especially with work from home where, uh, and, and marketing, like yeah. the, the reality is you could and probably might have to be working at crazy hours, uh, yeah. Yeah. At, at random times. Obviously that's always the case in kind of the agency realm, but, but in marketing, you might need to be, uh, checking out what the response is to a campaign at, you know, 10 PM at night. Very few. There are, if there was ever a nine to five job, it certainly doesn't exist anymore for the most part. And, and, you know, it, it, it really is true. And I mean, especially as you look at more and more global economies, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm dealing with, with Live Kindly Collective. We've got people everywhere from, uh, you know, Australia to South Africa, to Europe, to New York, and, you know, all within. So we always have to, you know, someone's always got to compromise and be willing to have that call at 10 p.m. or Mm -hmm. 4 a.m. And, uh, but that's how you engage better minds. So you got to have a lot of flexibility, a lot of flexibility. Yeah. So. Well, thank you, Denny, so much for joining. And my final, final question, actually, it should be a quick one. Has the, re- has the restaurant chain Denny's never, re- <laughs> have they ever reached out? No, nothing? Nothing. No, I know John Miller, who's the CEO there. And actually my former head of IT is there, Michael Furlow. I also at one point tried to steal their CMO, John Dillon. Um, you know, it's a, no, they never have. And neither is, neither is post cereals if they still yeah. exist. So, yeah. uh, and unfortunately I'm not related to either one. So I've had to work my whole life, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, no, it, it is pretty funny. Somebody suggested that I do that. Um, and I said, well, maybe I'll just take the post office and go run that for the next, yeah. uh, for the Biden <laughs> administration instead. I'd rather do something there. So, yeah. but it's, uh, yeah, they never have, but it's a great brand. I actually worked at, this will date me. Uh, there was a chain called Sambo's. Uh, that was a pancake house that was 24 mm. hours. It was a competitor of Denny's and I worked there in college, uh, the graveyard shift. So I got a lot of yuck yucks at, you know, 4 a.m. about being yeah. Denny working Sambo's. Yeah, so. nothing good happens in a pancake spot at four <laughs> oh. in the morning. No, no, you get the drunks and the hangovers both. So it's, yep. it's really not the greatest job, but uh, but you do get good tips. So yeah. anyway, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure to talk with you as well. And I wish you the very best with what you're doing and keep me, keep me in touch. I want to hear how it goes. Likewise, okay? and likewise. And thank you for all of our podcast listeners listening. Feel free to ask me any and all questions from this podcast on social. And I'll be sure to uh, provide my own insight.